Hello there, this is Dee. I just wanted to pipe in real quick before we started today's episode and let you know that instead of being the first 10 of our 20 things to remember during Benzo withdrawal, I only recorded 9 today. <laughs> I didn't notice that until I had finally exported the entire audio file, so I added this up front. I apologize for any confusion this may have caused. Please know that even though we only recorded 9 today, we'll follow up with the remaining 11 next week. Thanks for your patience, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee, and welcome to episode 30 of the Benzo Free Podcast. Things are pretty good around here. My good friend came to visit last weekend, and he's returning again this week. <laughs> I feel pretty lucky. Shan and I are really looking forward to seeing him again. It's Sunday, and I'm working on my script for this episode. It takes about two and a half days to do an entire episode, depending on the topic, so I try and get a good chunk of the script done on the weekend. That leaves Monday for finishing the script and recording, and then Tuesday for editing, writing the blog post, and uploading the episode. Not that you asked, <laughs> but I don't know why I just told you all that. It just felt like it felt like it was something to say. <laughs> In today's intro, I want to talk about, you know, one aspect of my healing that I've had some struggles with, and maybe, just maybe some of it relates to you, probably not, but, you know, I figure this is what I do here, so... I tell you things I'm dealing with, with my withdrawal, and I hope that a few of them connect. And from the emails you sent me, it does appear that some of them do connect with you, and I'm really happy to hear that. Now, on this one, many of you probably are going to say, this is not me, and if that's the case, then congratulations. I wish I was that lucky. But for a few of you, though, perhaps this is an issue you struggle with, too. Today, I want to talk about our sense of self, our self-image, our or ego, you might say. You know, I've talked about our emotions several times on this podcast, and for good reason. Our mood can be an emotional juggernaut during this time, and it's not consistent by any means. One day it's wonderful, the next you're huddled in your closet crying or hitting a pillow in anger or disgust, or, or on top of cloud nine, really happy. It, it goes all over the place. And, and our self-esteem, well, it goes along with us on this roller coaster ride. And, and both extremes of self-image exist, sometimes side by side. When I say the extremes, I'm talking about on one end we have low self-esteem, which often appears in depression or self-hatred or self-criticism, even hopelessness. And on the other extreme, we have 
our egotism or our over self-confidence that shows itself like self-righteousness or judgmentalism, self-centered thinking, conceit, even pride. I struggle with both of these back and forth to some degree, and I think partly because our emotions are somewhat unregulated, it's easy to ping-pong back and forth. You know, of the two, low self-esteem is perhaps the most obvious. Many of us have lost our jobs, our families, our friends, our mobility, our, our freedom. It, it's not only easy to lose one's self-confidence during this time, it's, it's almost expected because of what we've been going through. And it can even get so bad that we blame ourselves for the entire situation. We, we may think to ourselves that it wouldn't have happened if only I'd been stronger or if I was smarter or better educated or it wouldn't last this long if I didn't make this mistake on the way or this one or, or just manage the whole thing better. When we have low self-esteem, we bombard ourselves with negative self-talk. It's so easy to lose our sense of self-worth during this time, and it can be so difficult to, to find a way to get it back. Honestly, low self-esteem is something I've dealt with my whole life. It's not blatant, obvious low self-esteem like I see in some people. For me, it's, it's more in the background. It's, it's things I say to myself in my head. It's, it's the tapes from you know long ago that are constantly questioning the things I do and whether I'm a good person or not. It's why I so desperately need or desire people to like me, <laughs> you know, for some sense of validation. I'm sure that's part of the reason I do this podcast, so that I feel like a full person, a good person, a person deserving of attention, affection, even even love. If people don't like me, then I did something wrong. I'm not worthy, or I'm just a bad person. That's that's the tape I have in my head, as ridiculous as it may sound. So perhaps it shouldn't have been a surprise to me that when I lost my job during my withdrawal and I couldn't bring money into the house, and that added this burden on my wife, in addition to her having to take care of me for several years, that through all this my self-esteem just plummeted. And I still struggle with it today. And it probably shows right here on this podcast. I'm sure you've seen it maybe more than once, maybe multiple times. You know, perhaps the most common word I use in my vocabulary is sorry. I say that a lot. It just comes out. I don't even think I'm doing it half the time. Or, you know, when I get in a disagreement or argument with somebody, I'm almost always the first person to apologize. If someone accuses me, of something, I say, I'm sorry. If someone looks at me with scorn, I say, I'm sorry. If there's a pause in the conversation and some type of awkward silence, I say, I'm sorry. Even if someone is having a bad day and I had absolutely nothing to do with it, I say, I'm sorry. Why do I do it? That's a good question. I, I think it's what I learned to do a long time ago. I'm still unearthing some of the reasons why, and that's what my counseling is for, but it's there. And I'm starting to notice it more often, especially during withdrawal. But in the end, this low self-esteem really is based in fear. 
I think somewhere inside I'm telling myself that if I don't apologize and quickly, I risk losing someone's friendship or love or acceptance or approval or whatever it is I need to survive. I, I risk being left alone. I know I need more counseling on this and I'm working on this, but I think the fact that I see it and I know it's there helps. And that's what helps get me through things. And that's why I think taking this time in Benzo withdrawal to be a bit more introspective and working on some of our issues during this time is wonderful. It's, it's the perfect time to do this. What, what else are we going to do with our time? <laughs> There's no overnight fix here, but if you work at it, you're going to get there and you're going to start to feel better. And that brings us to the other extreme of the self spectrum, and that is egotism. Now, this is one that, you know, nobody wants to admit they have, including myself, even though I'm doing that right here. Every one of us has this, even though we are reluctant to admit it. It's part of human nature, and sometimes it's good. By thinking of ourselves and our own success and our own survival, we continue to live. We continue to thrive. We continue to love and reproduce and be all we can be. These aren't bad things. Self-confidence can be a very good trait, an, an attractive trait, a valuable trait. But in the extreme, it leads to problems. Let's look at some examples. Let, let's talk about self-centeredness. Many of us become self-centered during withdrawal, and for good reason. Just managing ourselves and our symptoms becomes a full-time job. It's that survival instinct. We, we don't have as much time to think of others because we're so overwhelmed by our own needs. Managing our symptoms becomes critical to our survival, and thus our needs are on center stage. As we heal and start to feel better, this type of thinking often eases, and sometimes it may not. And one aspect of this self-centered thinking that really can kind of take over is when we identify with our illness. I, I, I try not to let this diagnosis of benzo withdrawal syndrome own me. I, I wanted to be someone who happens to have benzo withdrawal syndrome instead of someone who is benzo withdrawal syndrome, if that makes any sense to you at all. I had to fight letting the condition own me. And it is a hard fight because this condition is overwhelming to say the least. I see it all the time, both in myself and in others. Benzo withdrawal is just an aspect of who you are and a temporary one at that. Don't let this illness own you. You are more than this illness. Don't forget that. You have so many aspects of your nature, of who you are, that are so wonderful. Don't just become the illness. Don't let the illness win. You know, another aspect of this that really kind of blindsided me, actually, was self-righteousness. I wish I could say that this was not a factor for me, but as many of you probably have realized after listening to me, you can see that I struggle with it sometimes. One of the things that surprised me about being a benzo withdrawal survivor was the knowledge learned, the education I picked up along the way. And while that all sounds fine and dandy, it also comes with a propensity for I hate to say it, but self-righteousness. Yes, I figured a few things out along the way which helped me survive this trial I went through. And maybe, just maybe, 
you know, some of those things might help others too. But that's where it needs to stop. You know, although not intentionally, we have been thrust into this underground world. We have uncovered a somewhat unknown epidemic called benzo withdrawal syndrome. This is a topic which many of us have taken the time to educate ourselves about, perhaps even help raise awareness about, or maybe even write a book about, or or host a podcast. Hmm, I wonder who I'm talking about here. <laughs> and we start to think we know best, or that we know things others don't know, and we start to become knowledgeable, informed, learned, educated, even self-righteous at times. We start to believe we are right, absolutely right, in certain topics. And thus, that makes other opinions, other people, wrong. In fact, we even start to become defensive about what we know. And we become defensive towards anyone who challenges this belief system we have. The downside of this is not only that we may come across as a know-it-all or even aggressive or arrogant, but that we become closed off to new ideas and even new people, especially people who may not agree with us. I wish I could say that this wasn't something I had to deal with, but it is. And I'm sure some of you have seen it in the podcast. Please know, it's not who I want to be. I truly believe that I learn as much from you as you do from me. That is the honest truth. But I'm human, <laughs> and I have just as many faults as the rest, if not more. But please know, I really do not believe that I know more about this than anybody else. In fact, I know there are a lot of people out there who know far more about benzo withdrawal than I do. Many in the medical community who are working, you know, in different organizations, many people who have gone through this, have been dealing with this for years. Some people who, you know, I've interviewed on this podcast or I've talked to who have been doing this for a couple of decades now. My God, I'm new to this. I'm still just a child learning, and I'm figuring things out as I go along. I'm just hoping that if you have questions, I can help you find some answers. That's it. So I'm sorry. <laughs> there I go again, see? <laughs> that one wasn't written. I just put it out there. But so I'm sorry that if I have come across in the past at all as self-righteous or even arrogant on this podcast, please know I really don't feel that, and I really don't think that in my heart. I'm just trying to help other people get through this thing that I went through. And some of you are suffering far more than I ever did. Some of you maybe not as much. Every one of us has had a different, a different experience here. And yeah, I have to admit, when it comes to the podcast, I, I took a little pride in it. I even took a pride in that Facebook page I had up, as we all know where that went. Many of us have a sense of pride of what we do and what we learn and what we have become. And, and like I said before, that's not bad. But it can get out of hand. Once I published my book and started the podcast, my ego got new energy. People started writing me about how much they appreciated what I did. And I loved it. I still do. Please, don't stop despite what I might say here. <laughs> But, but if you're not grounded, positive feedback can lead you down a selfish road. 
We see that in the celebrity culture all the time, where people lose their grounding and start to believe what other people tell them about themselves. And they start to make ridiculous requests like only green M&Ms or only this type of water or that the room be cleared before I enter it. It can get out of hand so easily. When I pulled back and closed our Facebook account for Benzo Free, it was a little difficult on my ego, I have to be honest. I I was proud of what I was building, of what we were building, and this felt like a step backwards. Then, as I shared with you earlier, I realized one key thing, and that's, it's not about me. One of my favorite grounding techniques is corresponding with you. When I hear what you are still going through, the pain, the suffering, the disbelief you experience from family, friends, and especially the medical establishment, the the hopelessness you might feel, the despair, I'm reminded. I'm reminded of where I was. But most of all, I'm reminded who the real champion is, and that's you. I'm doing better. I don't have the same struggles every day that you are going through right now. I've moved on a little. I'm not over it by any means, but I am much better. You are still in it. Or perhaps you're the caregiver for somebody who's still in it. Either way, you get up every morning, perhaps going to work, taking care of your kids, going to the store, exercising, educating yourself on benzos and healing. And who knows what else? all while in the midst of probably the biggest struggle of your life. You amaze me. I'm saying that from my heart with all honesty. You amaze me. And that, above all else, keeps me grounded. I I know that I can get over emotional sometimes on this podcast. It's the new me. (laughs) Welcome to the new D. Oh, just now though, as I said that, there's this shiver up my spine. I I get this, this, uh, how do I describe it? This pervasive emotional anchor in, in, in my body and it just runs through it when I get the emotions that I don't run away from anymore and I embrace them. And when I think about the people I've written to and the people who have written me and the people I've talked to and the people whose story we've shared on this podcast it feels good. It feels good. You helped me in my recovery more than I can ever tell you. And I'm grateful. In Benza withdrawal, our sense of self takes a hit. Whether it's the bottom of the pit of low self-esteem or the extremes of self-righteousness and self-centeredness, It's just good to notice it, to see it, to see where you're going, and to find that middle ground. Work towards that middle ground where you have the self-confidence and the belief in yourself to go do things, but you also realize you're connected to everyone else, and other people's success is your success. I'm not there yet. (laughs) I'm, I'm working on that one. But it's something good to strive towards, I I think. Let me know what you think. Today's format will follow our normal routine. We'll have our intro, our mailbag, and our Benzo story, and close out with our moment of peace. 
Our feature today is 20 Things to Remember in Benzo Withdrawal. This is part of our two-part series. Today we'll do the first 10, and next week we'll do the second 10. I've had some requests to return to some basics about withdrawal, and this is it. There will be some old tips, but also some new ones, and I hope you find this informative. And of course, before we move on, I do still want feedback. As always, questions, comments, stories, suggestions, corrections, additions. And this is where I normally say something that I think is humorous, but I'm just going to mention that I say something humorous here and leave it at that today (laughs) because I forgot to write something humorous into my script. (laughs) So this is just me being me. I'm going to move on. Anyway, I need feedback. This is your podcast, and the more content I can share from you, the more Benzo Free becomes the community it was designed to be. So please, tell us what you think. Visit our feedback forum at benzofree.org slash feedback, or email us at podcast at benzofree.org. Or, of course, you can always comment directly on the podcast blog post itself for others to see. And don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org slash subscribe. And please remember that the Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. If you're listening to this podcast on one of our providers, please leave feedback on that carrier. This helps new listeners find us. Okay, that's done. Let's move on to our mailbag. Today I have two questions. The first is from Wendy in British Columbia, Canada. Wendy writes, I listened to you on WBAD last evening. What you said about rewiring our brains hit home. Today, very often I said out loud what aspects of my body, mind, spirit that I love and appreciate. I don't like to do things systematically, so I jumped all around. Whatever came to mind. My navel, my neck, lymph nodes, my toenails, my blood. And later I switched to things I appreciate about my life. I've had the best day in a long time. Thanks. This was so much more effective than repeating some affirmation over and over. Well, thanks, Wendy. I I love this comment. Um, While a mantra works for some people, it may not for others. And Wendy created her own therapy with it. I love this. This is what I was talking about in my introduction. This podcast is your ideas. It's things you've come up with, just like Wendy here. Things you tell me, not only things that I can share, but things that help me in my recovery. This is one that I've tried since Wendy mentioned this. Gratitudes are essential. When I was going through withdrawal for a while there, I wrote three gratitudes in my journal every night before bed, and it helped. And this is especially important in benzo withdrawal because we're so focused on the negative during this time. It may seem hard, but every one of us can find things to be grateful for every day. Take a page from Wendy's playbook. Be thankful for the parts of your body or other things about your life. Just let your mind take you where it wants to go as she did. We have to counteract the negative thought patterns in our brains with some positive ones, and that's where gratitudes come in handy. They're so wonderful and such an important aspect of recovery. Thanks, Wendy. That was a great suggestion. I love that one. Our next question is from Bonnie in Boston, Massachusetts. Bonnie writes, I am so excited about your podcast and this website. Have withdrawn from 15 years of 0.5 milligram clonopin, started 1018, jumped 425. 
my doc kept telling me of course it was a very small dosage i am now 70 and weigh 115 pounds am very sensitive to meds and having symptoms none as terrible as the insomnia although the inner shaking is pretty bad I'm starting to explore your website, but wondering if you could list the things that everyone should avoid during withdrawal. Have made an appointment today on the phone with Jennifer Lee, live in Boston, looked far and wide in this huge medical community, my husband is a doctor, for a doctor, psychologist, psychiatrist, or support group. No luck. I even talked to the head of psychiatry and neurology at one of the major Harvard hospitals who basically said no way were those symptoms related to withdrawal. Told me to try acupuncture. I posted on Benzo Buddies about your podcast. We'll try to get the word out. I've been pretty dogged in my search for info on the internet, and after months I finally stumbled on your podcast. Thank you for helping bring all us together and giving us accurate, science-based information. Oh, thanks, Bonnie. And and thank you for saying such nice things about the podcast. I truly appreciate it. I do try to make sure BenzoFree is evidence-based, science-based in the things I provide. And if anybody ever has questions about that or um, wants to debate that, please send me an email. Let me know. I'm always open to discussing this and making sure that we are providing actual information. We are providing facts. We are providing evidence-based information. This is an excellent question, and actually, it was one of the comments which led to this two-part feature on on the tips for benzo withdrawal that I'm covering today. I can't fully answer this question here. For for one reason, I'm going to leave something out, something important. I just know I am. (laughs) And also, there are very few absolutes in benzo withdrawal. We all know the axiom that everyone is different, and this never has been more true than in benzo withdrawal. So trying to find something that's absolutely wrong is difficult. For example, some people can't tolerate even a drop of caffeine during withdrawal. Yet others drink caffeinated coffee throughout with no problem. Some people are extremely sensitive to sound in withdrawal and have had to soundproof their rooms and avoid any public places. Others, like me, practice their drum set for relaxation throughout their withdrawal. But you know what? For some basics, knowing well and good that this is just opinion based on research, not advice. Do you remember that? This is not medical advice, nor is it advice. It's just information. But here's some, here's some basics that I think I would like to highlight. First off is benzos. Yes, I thought I'd start with the most obvious. Taking more benzos during withdrawal, or Z drugs for that matter, will probably complicate your withdrawal. Seems obvious, I know, but still, I wanted to put it out there. There is an exception here, though. Most medical experts agree, including Ashton, that a one-time dose of a benzo for a medical procedure does not complicate your withdrawal. Opioids is a big one. The concurrent use of opioids and benzodiazepines can cause life-threatening complications. If you're prescribed an opioid during benzo use or withdrawal, please talk with your doctor immediately about your concerns. Quinolones are another one. Fluoroquinolone-based antibiotics should also be avoided if possible. Work with your doctor to see if there's an alternative if you've been prescribed one. I cover this one in the feature more in depth, but I think it's in part two, so I'll talk more about this next week. Alcohol is another one that comes up quite often. 
While some people do drink alcohol throughout their withdrawal, sometimes without known side effects, most claim that it makes their symptoms worse. And since it does act on the same GABA receptors, this makes sense. And yes, I cover this in part two of a feature also, so next week you'll hear me talk more about alcohol. But the general rule that most people in the benzo community agree upon is that alcohol should be avoided during withdrawal. When it comes to supplements or vitamins, this one's up for debate. It, it's, it's subject to opinion. But, but here are some that have been of concern, and so you just might want to look into them or learn more about them if it's something you've considered taking. And these include chamomile, kava kava, magnesium, phenobut, valerian, and vitamins B and D. There are others, and some people have actually found these that I just mentioned helpful. So this, like most things in benzo withdrawal, varies by the individual. And I could go on and on with this one, but those are the big ones, of course, except for the ones I forgot, which I will add or talk about in a later episode when I get the chance to correct them and remember what they were. <laughs> the main thing is don't obsess about this. You can get lost focusing so much on the things you should or should not take. A helpful trick I do is if I'm prescribed or recommended something during my withdrawal, I do a keyword search in the Ashton Manual or in the online discussion boards just to see what they say, and then I use my own judgment to evaluate if this is still something I should take or not. Please remember that if you are prescribed something by your doctor and don't want to take it, please discuss it with him or her. Don't just stop taking the medication. And that's going to close out our mailbag for today. Now, on to our Benzo story. Today, we have something very special. Our second only Benzo story recorded in the person's own voice. I love these because I don't have to read the story, even though I actually enjoy doing that sometimes. But I am sure I'm not the only one who gets tired of hearing me talk. So it's so nice to have stories in other people's voices also. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you might remember back in episode 9, Jeff from Winfield, Illinois, sent us an audio file of his Benzo story. Well, today we have our second one. Today's story is from Jeannie in Seattle, Washington. Let's hear Jeannie's story. Hi, my name is Jeannie, and I'm a 52-year-old woman living outside of Seattle, Washington. I was first prescribed clonazepam about 27 years ago when I was experiencing extreme anxiety and some panic attacks. I was not informed of the habit-forming nature of the drug, and once I did realize that my body was dependent on the medication, I could not get off of it. It took me years, actually, of researching and reading and continued seeking of information to try to figure out how to get off of this drug. I finally started a very slow taper in March of 2018. I started that taper at a dose of 3 milligrams per day. I am now down to 0.5 milligrams per day and could not be happier. I have experienced every single horrible symptom that goes with this benzo withdrawal. I did not start a slow taper. Sometimes I did a 10% reduction, sometimes a 20% reduction of a dose. I just have to say those were very, very rocky, 
awful days. I would not recommend it at all. Now I do 5% drops and it is totally manageable. Dee, I just have to say your podcasts and Facebook page and the continuous support of the Benzo community and my own family and friends, their patience through this whole thing is is priceless. I, I couldn't have done it. Um, I almost quit my job. I almost took off because I couldn't stand around to be other people. But I am slowly healing, very slowly healing. The worst symptom that stays with me almost on a daily basis now is tinnitus. It sometimes drives me nuts, as you know. Otherwise, I just get through every day with determination and the patience and support of my loved ones. Keep up the good work. You're doing amazing work. And thank you again. Thank you so much, Jeannie. And and thank you so much for the kind words about the podcast. It really means the world to me. And you know what? Congratulations on your success. I, I know you are still healing, but you are doing amazing. I'm so sorry for the symptoms you've had to deal with, but slowing down your taper to a pace you can work with is a wonderful thing. I'm glad you have a good support system also. That can help so much. Again, thanks for recording this and sharing it with our listeners. Please keep in touch. It's been really nice chatting with you this past week or two. And don't forget, we still need stories, short ones, long ones, even if it's just a paragraph or two, I'd love to share it here. Just go to our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback or email us at podcast at benzofree.org. And don't forget that you too can submit your story in your own voice. Instructions for this are on the feedback page. Now let's move on to our feature. Today our feature topic is 20 things to remember in benzo withdrawal. Like I said in the introduction, this is part one in this two-part series. Today we'll do the first 10. Next week we'll do the next 10. And then we'll have 20. Funny how that works out that way. Math is is kind of fun. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm getting a little stir-crazy. Now, these are not in order of importance by any means, but instead more loosely put in kind of a chronological order by the stages of withdrawal that you might deal with them, kind of. (laughs) We'll see. And before I dive into our topic today, I do need to remind everyone, again, I know you hear this plenty of times from me, but I just have to make this clear since I'm kind of giving tips here. I am not a medical professional, and this is not medical advice, nor any advice for that matter. It's just some tips some ideas, some things to remember that I picked up along the way from articles and studies or from corresponding with you. And I thought I'd share them with you today. Take them or leave them, that's up to you. These 20 things to remember are strictly for informational purposes. And as always, we recommend you work with your doctor. So let's dive in. Number one, taper slowly. Almost every medical expert who has worked with long-term benzo patients will tell you the same thing. Stopping benzos cold turkey can be very dangerous. And this is even worse if you do it on your own without medical supervision. I understand the urgent desire to free yourself from this medication. I know that because I felt that strongly. But quitting cold turkey will almost always make your condition worse. It can even be fatal. If you decide to withdraw, a slow taper under doctor's supervision is the smartest choice you can make. 
I don't have to spend a lot of time on this first tip, but it needed to be included and I needed to put it up front. Please read the Ashton Manual if you don't know about the slow taper. Get educated. In fact, that should be number two. You know what? Let's make it number two. Number two, get educated. <laughs> I just mentioned the Ashton Manual. Hopefully you've discovered it already. If not, visit our Ashton page at benzofree.org Ashton, where you can learn more about Professor Ashton and her amazing work. On that page is a big blue button, which will take you right to her manual. Read it. I'm not kidding. Read it. It's the Bible of the Benzo community. Yes, it's that important. But that's just the beginning. The fact that you are listening to this podcast is a good sign. It means you are interested in learning more. And that's the first step. If you need some of the basics, then please go check out our information pages on the website at benzofree.org info. If the medical establishment was totally informed on benzos and knew the dangers and how to manage a slow withdrawal process, perhaps you wouldn't need to get educated. But then again, I still think it'd be a good idea. Benzo withdrawal can be an overwhelming experience for some, and it's good to be as prepared as possible. Professor Ashton said the following, With a sufficiently gradual and individualized tapering schedule, withdrawal can be quite tolerable, even easy, especially when the user understands the cause and nature of any symptoms that do arise and is therefore not afraid. We talk about fear a lot in this podcast, and there's good reason, as you just heard from Professor Ashton. So getting educated is important, but there is some caution here. Use your common sense. Not all information on the internet is good information, and it's important to be cautious of possible triggers, such as horror stories on some discussion groups. We'll talk a bit about that later. Stick with well-respected sources of information. You can find a list of some of these on our resources page at benzofree.org resources. Number three, take responsibility. Perhaps you're asking yourself, take responsibility for what? Well, for your own health and recovery. I now approach my relationships with medical professionals as that of a partnership. Sure, my doctor knows a lot more about medicine than I ever will, but she doesn't know everything, and neither does the internet. While it can be an excellent resource for some medical information, it's also full of inaccuracies, hype, and biased personal accounts. Common sense is critical. I learned to be a partner with my doctor instead of a submissive patient. I now have a say in what happens to me. If I don't like a prescription, I may get a second opinion or a third. I may even suggest an alternative. I decide what is done to my body and nobody else. I'll never take another prescribed medication without doing my own thorough research. I'll never go through another medical procedure without fully understanding all the risks and weighing the pros and cons. Taking responsibility means taking the lead in your recovery. You're in charge, and that's a good thing. And that also means that you decide if and when you wish to withdraw. Nobody should be forced to withdraw from benzos. And nobody should ever be made to go cold turkey. Number four, it's not addiction, so steer clear of rehab. Most rehabilitation or detox centers are focused on one thing, 
addiction and recovery from addiction. They can be very effective for helping people come off of certain substances like alcohol, amphetamines, painkillers, heroin, cocaine, and many others. And it's very common for patients and medical professionals to think that a rehab center is the best place to withdraw from benzos. But there's a problem with that thinking. As Dr. Stephen Wright so eloquently put it, when it comes to benzos, it's almost never addiction. Long-term benzo use can create dependence, physiological dependence, which is completely different from addiction, and it needs to be treated as such. Thus, rehab centers which are focused on addiction, even if they claim to also work with benzo patients, rarely provide the support needed for proper withdrawal. One of the key differences is time. Benzo withdrawal can take months, even years. No rehab facility can take that long. Thus, they often force the patient to withdraw too fast, sometimes in as little as 30 days. Also, they focus on treating psychological addiction, which doesn't relate to most benzo patients. Physiological dependence is different, completely different, and it needs to be treated as such. Now, there are some rehab centers which focus on benzo withdrawal, and a few of them may be good. I, I don't really know, but just be careful. If anyone tries to get you to cold turkey or taper too quickly, please stop and think about it. Get a second opinion. Get a third. Speak to another doctor. Get more information and decide what is best for you. Number five, find a stable mindset. You know, I spoke about this a lot in my book, so bear with me a bit if I share a, some of that information with you. In my opinion, fear and the stress and anxiety related to that fear cause more distress and more complications during withdrawal than anything else. This fear is not some natural psychological fear. It's chemically enhanced. On top of the original anxieties we had before our dependence on benzos, we now have a damaged nervous system that can't process fear correctly. A system that can send us into a panic state, both psychologically and physiologically, at the least sign of distress. Yes, I believe fear is the number one enemy in withdrawal, but I'm not alone. Ashton said the following, Many withdrawal symptoms are simply due to fear of withdrawal or even fear of that fear. People who have had bad experiences have usually been withdrawn too quickly, often by doctors, and without any explanation of the symptoms. I talk about mindset a lot in the book and on the podcast, and I do that because I really think it is that important. There's no overnight fix for benzodependence. As much as we want one, it just doesn't exist. But there are a lot of things we can do to manage the fear and develop a more positive and stable mindset. Like many of us, you may have physical symptoms, but rarely can you do anything directly to affect them. They will come and they will go, and often those physical symptoms are triggered or aggravated by your mental state. Fear, stress, and anxiety play a significant role in determining the severity of your withdrawal. Therefore, it just makes sense for us to spend more time and effort on managing our fear and anxiety 
and less on trying to figure out how to physically mitigate each individual symptom. Finding this positive, stable mindset is essential, in my opinion, to success in benzoyl withdrawal. Number six, build a support team. Benzoyl withdrawal is not an endeavor to be undertaken alone. If you can help it, you need support for a hundred different reasons. First and foremost, it's important to have the support of family and friends. Many of us thank our caregivers often, which still probably isn't enough. A caregiver is someone or a group of someones who are close to you and help you manage your withdrawal. While often a spouse, partner, family member, or close friend, it can also be a collection of neighbors or others who want to help. Having someone by your side who understands what you are going through as best as they can and will support you and help you with your healing is vital. Second is a good medical professional. Now, this one can be difficult for some, for, for most maybe, because a benzo-wise doctor is hard to come by. I know. I've had the same struggle. I know so many of you have also. But this person doesn't have to be benzo-wise. Just a medical professional who will listen to you, believe you, and work with you on your taper can be huge. Trust me, having a doctor or nurse practitioner or PA or similar to work with you on this journey is crucial. Not only do so many of us need somebody to adjust our medication prescriptions along our taper, but we also need somebody to go to when we have this pain or this ache or this uncomfortable feeling or other things that go on with our body that we just want to get analyzed and see if it's something major or if it's just a symptom. It may be hard to find a good medical professional to work with, but try. It's worth the effort. I work with a few different primary care professionals along the way, and most of them I had to educate, but it worked well because they listened and we made progress. The rest of your team is made up of extended family, colleagues, bosses, specialists, massage therapists, nutritionists, acupuncturists, you name it. And you probably don't know which ones you're going to need yet, but along the way, some of these will join your team, trust me, and they will help. 8. Don't updose. This one is quite simple and straightforward. Several of us have updose during our taper, myself included. I was uh, traveling for business during my taper, had a panic attack, and didn't know what else to do. It was a mistake in hindsight. And I, I didn't start to taper again for many months, but I was scared. I was terrified at the time, as so many of us become. And I did what I thought I had to do to carry on. First, let me just clarify what updosing is for those who don't know. Updosing is increasing your dosage temporarily during taper. And it's not recommended. And most agree that it should be avoided if at all possible. You see, evidence shows that people who raised their dosage during taper had a more difficult time withdrawing once they decided to start again. The general rule is to go down in dose or stay put. You can stay at a level as long as you need, but don't updose unless your symptoms are unbearable or life-threatening. If you feel you need to updose, please speak with your doctor, talk with other people, and try to figure out if there's an alternative to going back up on your dose. But if you do updose, don't beat yourself up about it. 
you can still taper successfully. Move on, keep going on your schedule, pause if you need to, and you'll get through this. Number nine, set boundaries. Boundaries during withdrawal come in a wide variety of shapes and sizes. Some of them relate to diet. Others relate to exercise and entertainment. Some even apply to relationships with other people. Overall, boundaries are limitations we place on our lives to help us reduce adverse reactions and to help manage our recovery. But setting boundaries isn't always straightforward. And your boundaries affect more than just you. A key term to remember when it comes to setting boundaries is balance. In my book, I mentioned two distinct schools of thought I'd come across in benzo withdrawal when it came to setting boundaries. The first school of thought was avoidance. Most people on the benzo boards fall into the camp of avoidance. The argument made here is that benzo withdrawal is already so arduous for some people. Why would you do anything that might even possibly make it worse? This is a valid argument, and it's based on solid common-sense principles. It just makes sense that if something is making you feel worse, avoid it, especially during this difficult time. The second school of thought I've come across I like to call lifestyle. This style takes a more laid-back approach to boundaries, focusing more on maintaining some sense of normalcy during withdrawal. This, I think, is more closely aligned with Professor Ashton's thoughts. You know, let's use isolation for example. I've talked about this several times on the podcast. It's so easy to isolate ourselves during benzo withdrawal. We may have agoraphobia or other social phobias. We may be in pain or find it difficult to leave the safety of our homes. We, we may disconnect from society, from social media, from news, from life. These are all common reactions, and, and there are many more. Setting boundaries, especially when done consciously to help allow room for us to heal, can be important. But we can also go too far. Finding a balance is the key. If we get too isolated, we no longer have stimulation to work with, to grow from, to learn from. And isolation is only one. We set boundaries on food and drink, and wisely so in some regards, or on medications, on supplements, or on vitamins. We set them on our relationships. Some people cause us stress and we need to limit our exposure. It's important to set these boundaries and equally important to limit the degree that we set them because one day you will feel better and you'll want to start taking the boundaries down, which is not in of itself an easy task. And number 10, our last one for today is use your common sense. Another common subject for our podcast that I've spoken about is benzo brain versus our rational brain. During withdrawal, we don't think straight sometimes, or even most of the time. Our emotions become irrational and they affect our thinking. We start to make decisions and act on them from a place of fear. Returning to our rational minds isn't easy during this time. In fact, it's almost impossible many days but it's vital to try. Common sense is another term for our rational brains. When we use our common sense, we make decisions based on facts and thought instead of on emotion and hearsay. And it's important to try and return to our common sense, especially when making important decisions, such as ones about our taper or withdrawal. 
Common sense is especially critical as we are trying to educate ourselves, as we spoke of earlier. There's a lot of information out there on benzo and withdrawal, and a lot of it is good, but some of it is not. And we need our common sense to filter out the bad and find the good. If someone is offering the miracle cure for benzo withdrawal, this is a good time to visit our rational mind. (laughs) Although our irrational mind wants this to be true, our rational brain has to ask, does this really make sense? Rely on evidence-based information and research, and be cautious of what information you rely on. Also, your irrational mind is easily triggered during this time, so it's important to be cautious and limit your exposure. And this goes for many of the discussion groups, too. These can be wonderful sources of information, but also can often contain horror stories of withdrawal, which can trigger our fragile psyches. Again, just use your common sense. If you're on social media or on the recovery boards all the time and it's making you more scared and confused, then pull back. Know when enough is enough. You are in charge of your recovery, and the more you can use your rational brain, your common sense during this time, the better off your recovery is going to go. And that wraps up our feature. Next week, we will have the second part, which is another 10 things to remember in Benza withdrawal. I hope you found this helpful, and, and thanks for listening. Before we get on to our moment of peace, please bear with me for about 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit. You know, before you return to the chaos of the real world. The way this works is that I will give a brief introduction, perhaps a suggestion of something to focus on. Then I'll play a soft bell, which will indicate the start of the one minute. This will be followed by another soft bell, which will indicate the end of one minute. And that will be the end of the episode. Feel free to continue to meditate if you choose. If not, continue on with your day. Please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place, where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for a minute. Today we are going to do what I call lighthouse meditation. Our minds operate at a mile a minute, and at no time is that more obvious than during meditation. That's why I always say that if your mind wanders, just bring it back, because it will. Thoughts and feelings just randomly appear, and suddenly... We're thinking about something else. Today, during meditation, I want you to be aware of that. Watch for the thoughts. Wait for them. 
and notice them when they appear and start to take you away. If you want a visualization, imagine you are on the top of a lighthouse at dusk. And your thoughts are just the ships that pass in the night. Notice them, and then just let them pass, and return to watching for the next one. This practice can be quite illuminating, and can help calm an active mind. Let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. Then let the breath out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally. And just wait for your next thought. When you have a thought, just notice it. And let it pass. No judgment at all. Continue to do this for one minute. Next episode is episode 31, and it will be released next Wednesday. Thank you again for joining me today, and please let me know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.